Please be advised. The Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity, so there's that. Enjoy. Yo, yo, it's Treasy. It's Martin Mailman. And I'm Young Weezy. And we're the Kind of Movie Critics podcast. The Black Three on KMC. There we go. There Rest it in is. Rest in peace man. to the Act Three. <laughs> yeah. Rest in peace to the Act Three, man. Um, here to talk about Gerard Carmichael's On the Count of Three. How y'all feeling hey. today? Am Mark's I delayed? Like Billy Ho, he must have got sexy for a date or something earlier. <laughs> nah. Nah. I'm just going. <laughs> just just going to sleep after this for real. Okay. You be sleeping in uh, Under Armour shirts? Right. (laughs) Oh, what? Like Eddie Long? Right. (laughs) Yo, y'all had me weak on that episode, man. I I still haven't watched Honk for Jesus, man, but y'all had me crying when I was listening to the episode, specifically during that part, Martin. And uh, and, and Lizzie was out here dropping the gospel, man. So I was was really, uh, I was very entertained listening to y'all's breakdown of Honk for Jesus. And I want to see it because y'all talked about it, but you know how my life is. Oh, oh did you. you grow up going to church, Treasy? A little bit, man. I remember there was a small period of my life where I did. So, okay, I had like phases of it. Like when I was younger, younger, I, you know, I went for a small period of time with my mom. Um, and then I think the church that we were going to, it was a church out in Norfolk. There was some sort of scandal with the pastor, this, that. So after that, we just kind of just kind of stopped. And then when I became a teenager, I used to hang with some homies and and like, we ended up getting into the church ourselves and like joined the choir ourselves. We used to like go around playing basketball and all of that. But, nice. um, but we, uh, there was, I don't know what compelled us to do it, but we just started going to our, our own church and started singing in the choir. And then that disappeared. And then I started, I picked it back up. I picked it back up. Like it was uh, like, it was like watching wrestling or something, but right. I, I picked up going back to church um, towards like the end of my high school year. And I actually, I actually got baptized, you know what I'm saying? Like I got baptized uh, after I graduated high school in 99. Oh, nice. The, the ill part is, man, I know this is totally off subject, but my mom has sent me randomly a photo of like, you know, when you get baptized, you kind of get like a certificate for you mm-hmm. getting baptized and everything. Uh, the they were like, thing. welcome to being a Christian. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to commemorate the jump. And the, and the jump, yo, I got baptized on the same day my daughter was born, but it was like... It oh, was, years it, earlier. Yeah, and I had no idea. Like that's it's wild. So, it's so crazy, man. So yeah, so I had phases in the church, and then after I got baptized, uh, that's when the world started testing me for real, man. And I started yeah. developing my own opinions about the church listen, and things like that. So listen. <laughs> so as soon as you get under that water, boy, that's when they come. That's when they come for you. All the doubts, but anyway, yeah, that was a great episode, man. The Honk for Jesus episode, last episode. What y'all been watching since? Uh, since last time I talked to y'all, man. Besides um, Hunk for Jesus, of course. Yeah, besides Hunk for Jesus. I I just really been on there's a couple shows I've been watching. Atlanta has been like a, a one that I've been picking up uh Mm-mm. back this is this is the last season. Yes, sir. Um, and it's it's back set in Atlanta, uh, that I, I really like. I like the last uh season, season three, but I mean, I think a lot of people online like didn't really feel it. We we had did an episode that y'all could really check out um, about it, but I like what they're doing. How they're I don't know how to explain this season, but but it's definitely like um 
a retrospective on like the career of a rapper in a sense and like the end the intel of that career. Um yeah. I love we talked about them doing like an MF Doom tribute like in the first episode. Man, boy, that I love that episode, bro. I didn't even realize that was Earl Sweatshirt doing the um doing the raps. Yo, fam, I, I was I was right now years old when I realized you're absolutely right. I didn't even that, think about that's that. That's like you're, a perfect choice because he like the odd future guys, they're super like influenced by MF Doom. Right. Very much. And even the even the beats sounded like almost like something like that Madlib might make or something like that. And the way like that they didn't have hooks to the songs. Right. I thought that's that's like some straight MF Doom stuff. So I thought that was brilliant. Like I'm a huge MF Doom fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not super huge, but I I, I rock with them for sure. You yeah. know, like but Mad Villainy is one of my favorite one of my favorite projects. Yeah, that's my favorite album. Real oh uh, of all time or out of his discography? Yeah, out of their of all discography. Time. Oh, oh shit. Wow. Yeah, Fancy yeah. Clown. I probably I wore that song out. Yeah, that's, that's a great joint. song. It's a diss song. <laughs> it's a diss song, but it, but he's dissing himself. It's amazing. Oh, I didn't. I never peeped that. I never peeped that. See, I need I need to hang around with you a lot yeah, more. Yeah, because it's like he has various alter egos. Like there's MF Doom, mm-hmm. there's Victor Von, there's King Ghidorah. I feel like is there's it, another one. Is but it Quasimodo? Like, no, nah, Quasi Quasi is um. That's, that's Mad Lib. Yeah, that's, that's Mad Lib rapping okay. like sped up or whatever. Right. But it's about like MF Doom dissing Victor Vaughn, but they're the same person basically. Right. But I know this is really nerdy talk <laughs> for Lizzie. Like, yeah, uh, y'all very got much very high. inside baseball with uh, yeah. the nerdy uh, rapper stuff. I'm not familiar, but y'all love it. So mm. I thought it was a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Did you, man, have y'all gotten to episode three yet? Yeah, I watched it. Dog, I thought I did y'all think that they had D'Angelo? I thought they when did. I heard him singing, yeah. I was like, well, I was like, that can't be him because otherwise they wouldn't have a problem showing us his back. It's like and I was like, yo, his cornrows are mad like small and straight back still. I was like, hmm. But he sounded like him when he was singing, he and then he turned around, like and I was like, wah, wah. "I know, man. I I was like, yo, if Donald Glover gets D'Angelo in Atlanta, he's a fucking he's already a legend, but he yeah. would be a fucking legend if he had D'Angelo in this jump, man." I was just, I was just like, "Oh, this is Biff Whiff all over again." Yeah. Oh, exactly, Biff Whiff. Yep. Shout out to well, uh, he's played the Dave. he's done the fake out before, like when he had like the black Justin Bieber. Or he had a uh, Drake's house that episode where you you expect Drake to show up at one point, but it's just like a cardboard cut out of Drake the entire episode. Right, right. Yeah, I just I just felt like since this was this is the finale season, I was like, yo, they pulled yeah. out the big guns. But no, nah, that was I, I like that episode too. And you know, man, yeah, no, nah, Atlanta's good. Atlanta's good. What you been watching? Looking forward to it tonight. Um, I binged over the weekend, like um. Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story on Netflix, like much of the rest of Black Twitter. <laughs> okay, well, I've <laughs> been hearing about well. it. Um, I like the way that that Ryan Murphy approached this. He can make some bullshit because um, I was, I had to finally give up on American Horror Story because I was just like, "What the fuck, Ryan?" But <laughs> <laughs> and I gave up on it like a couple seasons ago. But um, he is telling. He he did something really interesting. He used the Jeffrey Dahmer story as like a 
basically like American crime story. Mm. But it's Jeffrey Dahmer. But it also is meant to shine a light on like um ineptitude in law enforcement and racial bias and just the way that um black, brown, and queer people that live at the intersection of also poor, like are just marginalized, marginalized. completely. Right. And how um black people are not believed and Basically, like, just highlights for you that he was able to get away with killing so many people because they were black, because they were brown, because they were queer, mm-hmm. and because they were poor. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the law enforcement does not give a fuck about people like that. So um, right. he just, he used Jeffrey Dahmer to tell a social justice story, which I thought was interesting. like... It is interesting. And there's... um a lot of unease for me in some of the episodes, um, especially episode five, which is about um, a deaf guy that he murdered. And oh. I just was like, oh my God, I'm so uneasy. <laughs> so, cause they do like a whole, um, he gets a lot of exposition in that particular um, person. I don't want to mm-hmm. call him a character cause he was, he lived, yeah. but um, it, it was a whole lot to to watch and to take in. And it tells you a complete story of what happened after he died. I didn't realize that Jeffrey Dahmer was only in jail for three years. Huh? Um, yep. Me and me and um, Erica from our True Crime episode many, many years ago, we are still watching sick girl things. Um, <laughs> and this happens. She's still watching it. She keeps texting me every few minutes like, girl! <laughs> but um, I, we were talking about, I remembered hearing about him um in my mind he died when i was in college but he didn't um he was killed in jail only three years later in my mind like we were we were in high school or college when he died but he died in um three years later in 1994 so he went in 91 he died in 94 he was Mm. killed wow i didn't Mm. even you know what's crazy (laughs) what Uh, i was so you thought I, he came home? That's why you were like, what? Yeah, yeah that's number one. Too. Yeah. <laughs> no, you said he did no, no, three no, no, years no, no. for he a murder and just bounced. But, no, but, he got, got life. They don't have death. And I believe he was, um, oh, he was in Wisconsin. They didn't have death. So yeah, he, I, he had the life sentence. Mm-hmm. No, nah, my, uh, my confession is actually way worse than that. I didn't realize that he died. I thought, I thought Jeffrey Dahmer. You thought he was Dahmer, still alive? I thought Jeffrey Dahmer was still alive in prison. I really no. did. Yeah. I think wow. Ted Kaczynski is still alive, but like everybody else is yeah, he did. He yeah. was he was killed in prison. A black guy killed him. Okay. Good good I mean, that's definitely good to know. But I had no clue. That, I mean that guy was mentally ill too, but he was schizophrenic, but Right. I'm did, indifferent. He, he did <laughs> right. He did the Lord's work. That's what he said too, but Oh, that's what he said? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's good. You gotta watch it. Okay. <laughs> Okay. That was. I mean, they. Okay. Well, say less. I'm not even gonna. It's really, really good. I I had reservations because, like, even though I like that kind of stuff, I don't like it when people are like celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like they really focused on the victims in the community that was being terrorized and told their story in a way that had a lot of care. We can go back and forth about whether or not they should have gotten paid, but mm. <laughs> um, but I thought. Just the angle that he took was great. So, got it. Okay, okay, okay. 
That's what's up, man. Yeah, uh, it was only Atlanta for me, man. I haven't really been watching anything. I need to. Uh, I wish I can get back on the just leisurely watching things train. And I intend to at some point. I'm, I'm you know, podcasting. I've been listening to, uh, um, uh, shout out to Richard, man. He put me on to this, my homeboy Richard. He put me on to this uh, podcast called American Storytellers or American History Storytellers. And they basically, you know, take uh, big, you know, events in American history and break it down per season. So mm-hmm. I listened to like, you know, I jumped straight in and listened to the season that had, was about J. Edgar Hoover, which was very intriguing. I learned a lot about, you know, just Hoover in general. And, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like he's the worst figure in American history of all time. Did they discuss the possibility of him being a Negro? <laughs> no, no, they, did, they didn't go <laughs> they there. They talk with about it. that. They didn't go there with mm-hmm. it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I gained a lot of insight. Just it, it gave a lot of insight into the person and the the inequities of him, and you know, just the vastness of what he did and where it came from. And you know, I always I always just sort of pinned him as like, you know, J. Edgar Hoover to me was just Cointel Pro, and I always like really just chomped that down to what he did to leaders in the black community, but. Man, this motherfucker was terrorizing everybody. <laughs> it just wasn't black people. So you know, I, I got an education on that, and then uh, I'm into the prohibition uh, season right now. So I did, I, I did the Cold War. I did J. Edgar Hoover, and I'm into prohibition now. So I haven't been watching anything, but I've been listening to podcasts. Nice. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Man. We're, we've both been watching um, the new Star Wars short show Andor. Uh, Andor. Uh, it's by uh, Tony Gilroy. Have you ever seen Rogue One? Well, I don't think you have. Have you? Mm-mm. You you know better than that. Oh yeah. But we, I <laughs> right, mean, we right. keep we keep telling you to watch it. I think you would like Rogue One, I, and that's a good entry point to Star Wars. Even if you yeah. hadn't seen Star Wars before, you can watch right. that one and be fine. Rogue One's not the fir- not the J.J. Abrams one, right? The first one. No, no that's it's Tony. That's the Force Awakens. Okay, yeah. so I've seen like half of that. No, Rogue One is better than that. I bet I'm sure it <laughs> yeah, is. But basically, Rogue yeah. One is the um, the story of how the the uh, rebels got the plans for the Death Star, which is it it takes you right up to the second that the original Star Wars movie starts. Oh, nice! Um, so you can watch that and then watch Episode Four of Star Wars: um, mm-hmm. A New Hope, uh, and it would be really good, but. He's asking you that because one of the can uh, the characters we get introduced to in Rogue One is Cassian Andor, and this series on um, Disney Plus is about him, mm. and he's played by what's that child name? Is it Delon? Um, what's his child name? <laughs> what, yeah, Diego what Luna is his name. Diego Luna. Uh, Diego yeah. Luna. Yeah. Mm, nice. Um, what you think about it, Martin? <laughs> I actually, I actually really like it. I mean, I guess I'm kind of like burnt out on Star Wars, so this appeals to me because it's not, it's like a grounded like spy thriller that just happens to be set in the Star Wars universe. Like, yeah, it's, it's totally it's barely completely different from Star everything Wars. else. <laughs> yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, the dialogue and the characters are like they feel more set in like um like a corporate drama or like a satire rather than like a sci-fi like show or something like that 
um, in a lot of ways. And I guess I just appreciate it. There, there's like a lot of British accents. Like I'd be like, oh, that dude's Irish. That dude's Scottish. That dude's from Wales. <laughs> <laughs> there's like a lot of British people in this show. Um, and but, the main um, character has a Spanish accent. Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, mean, I definitely, I, I, I like the show. Um, and I, I mean, I just finished watching episode four. Um, so it seems like they're setting up for like a heist type of arc in these next couple episodes. Um, but I, I definitely appreciate something new, more mature and less like dumbed down than like a lot of other Star Wars content has been uh, to me. But what would you think of it? Um, I have I actually have The Mandalorian still my favorite series to come out like, yeah. you know, in the Disney era. But um like you said it's very grounded and it's very mature some of the childlike aspects of the of the star wars universe like they're completely absent like you said it's like yeah. a spy drama set it's in like space. just a droid that's it basically <laughs> right it's and like so, a droid yeah and so like i it's been it's quiet and very dark and i keep falling asleep <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I I need to restart it from the beginning because I've been struggling to watch it. I sat down to watch episode four um around five thirty and I'm, so right. I was selling Sars Guard for like two seconds and I was freaking sleeping. So I have to try that again. Yeah. I'm I vote present. I don't hate it, but it's not I'm not I don't love it like Martin loves it. But mm. it could just be because I'm just one of those fans that need something very specific i'm curious right. what chandler thinks but you know chandler's out here being a rock star on tv with amazing hair so yeah i'm trying to day. get cory to cory to watch it he keeps watching like everything like but what he, we he watched everything but what you did <laughs> exactly <laughs> everything well he did he did um speaking of he did watch on the count of three but he was half oh, yeah. paying attention in the chat was like oh shit y'all recording tonight yeah <laughs> i would have loved to have him for this episode me too yeah. i absolutely would have also yeah, shout out to Corey. Bet, yeah, I bet. think that's pretty much everything we've been watching so far. Good, good. Well, we can get on to the to the main event then, which is uh, Gerard Carmichael's director directorial debut on the count of three on Hulu. Uh very, very, very interesting film, man. Um I didn't even I didn't really know about this. I think Lizzie, you might have put this on my radar. Uh, he it came out like right after he did. <laughs> so, oh wow, okay, that's funny. <laughs> like no, like it came out. I want to say the week he did SNL, so like right. literally right after he did. Oh, so so okay, so him coming out was his rollout. We said that before, and the people got mad at us. So hey, like, yeah. I'm gonna be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man, you gotta you gotta entice the people. You gotta double down. <laughs> Give them what they want. <laughs> exactly, man. Um, he's I, getting his second win, though. Like, what he said, he's like, I ain't dead, bitch. Yeah, <laughs> like, man. He's definitely listen, not dead. He just won not, an Emmy. He just yeah. won an Emmy. I didn't know that till you told me that. I haven't been keeping up with the Emmy with the Emmy round. So, it, so, and that was you said for Rathaniel, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was a brilliant piece of work. Rathaniel was good, man. Rathaniel I agree. Was good. From yeah. an artistic perspective, like. I can't deny him on that one. Um, mm-hmm. We can talk about whether or not the shit was funny. But mm-hmm. um, I, I wouldn't say he was undeserving of it. Even if we never, ever figure out what he was doing there, like, that's the brilliance of it. So, mm-hmm. like, give him his flowers. Yeah, man. This this guy, this movie, 
even though I don't think he was part of writing it, you know, he might have some uncredited <laughs> yeah, uh, portion of it, but how he's, how he's taking control of his career. And I would have never expected him to be where he's at now from the Gerard Carmichael show. Well, it's weird. Cause I feel like it, this is his directorial debut, but I feel like he feels like someone who's been making movies for a long time or he's definitely been producing and he had his own show. Like it feels like he's been heavily involved in like making films or making content for like a really long time. So this almost seems like late for um a directorial debut to me. It feels like he could have did this like years ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and the reason I'm saying that is because like tonally what the movie is and um it being like an indie film, I think that like we needed all of the A24 with all the Negroes in it before this, before anyone would like be ready for it. So I don't know. It's an Annapurna right. movie. Uh, yeah, it wants to Annapurna. be a, it wants to be a A24 movie. Well, but <laughs> no, but but not Annapurna to me. Annapurna was it's the precursor similar. to A24. Yeah. yeah. And and Focus Features was the precursor to Annapurna to me. Mm-hmm. So so it's I mean it's right in line, and I'm glad to see Annapurna back on screen because I think they had they there was a little hiatus going on with them for a while. No, I mean, well, I don't know what this did for them, but like it has all the feels. But I, I feel like this wouldn't have worked a while ago. I feel like his core audience needed to see more art house films before they would care about this. Um hmm. do you feel like Gerard Carmichael has like a core audience? Like do you feel like he has I mean like that's a, a fair genuine question. fan base of people that like Obviously, he has fans because he tours. I mean, he sells out like... But I I can't really tell you what a Gerard Carmichael fan like looks like, really. Man, isn't that the genius of him, though? Like, yeah, because when you were saying what you were just saying, Lizzie, I was like, I don't know, man. I I think his audience is is vast enough to where this makes sense. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is not... I'm I'm, going to err on the side with with Martin here. I don't feel like this is like a Gerard Carmichael is ubiquitous at this point. Like, you know what I mean? And it's it's just kind of hard to like pin the tail on that donkey, man. It's he you can't put him in a box and I do feel like I think his execution this for sure does not feel like a directorial debut. This feels like a film from a guy who's been doing this for decades, you know, or, or and, you know, and he he's coming down off of his high horse of doing bigger budget films to make this statement piece, you know, about society at large or whatever the case may be. It it definitely doesn't feel like a directorial debut to me in the least. Um, I was, I, I mean, I was blown away just off of not blown away, but like the original, uh, Orion, you know, teaser trailer, you know, like he, he pulled in the one from like the eighties, man. Like, it, I don't know this, this film just like set a tone right from the beginning that like, you better take this shit very seriously, you know, and, and we're, and we're coming in for, I don't know, we're coming in for a left cross that nobody's going to expect to see coming, man. Like I, I hadn't, I had no idea what to expect from this film, but from, from the first frame I was engaged and I can't tell you the last time I saw a film that like I was engaged from the first frame. I I could tell you the last one that I saw that I thought I was going to be engaged from the first frame and then it fell apart. And that was the, uh, the Steve McQueen movie with uh, 
Well, widows? With, uh, Vi- yes, widows with Viola Davis. I thought it was going to captivate me from the beginning, and then it fell apart. But this one, yeah, I don't know. It had me from the beginning of the ride, man. Were y'all like uh, familiar with Christopher Abbott, his co-star, before this? I had no clue. I thought it was Bad no, Bunny for, the, I for mean, like I mean, I've minutes. seen movies that he's in, but I just don't recognize him. He was on Girls. Um, oh, I never watched Girls. Oh, uh, well, obviously. I mean, if, yeah. in 2022, I would not watch Girls. But, you know, before Lena Dunham became a whole ass weirdo, <laughs> I watched <laughs> Girls. And he played um, Allison's boyfriend. And he kind of disappeared off the show and came back. And his character was very, like straight laced like sweet guy in the beginning he came back acting a whole lot like this guy in this movie and I was like the fuck mm. um I've seen Christopher Abbott in a few things I think he's not working enough he's for how, good. Ta- I mean, he's a good, for he's how a talented good actor. he is yeah. he's not working nearly enough yeah. um I had seen him in something with Cynthia Nixon so for the uninitiated because I know y'all don't know who that is that's Miranda from Sex in the City oh okay <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah where she plays like his dying mother and he's grieving, and he was fucking amazing in that. I can't think of what it was called, mm. but I pretty much will watch anything with him in it. Um, yeah, I, I I also see like a a Shia LaBeouf in this role, um, mm. which is interesting. I mean, like Gerard Carmichael could have gotten Shia LaBeouf at this point for sure, for sure. Um, I think they recorded this like pre pandemic though. Um, I could see that because yeah. the original release date says last year, which tells me. It probably was filmed in 2019 um, or well, 2018. Well, I mean, th- it was such a very tight-knit story. You know, mm-hmm. only a few people, like minimal cast. This could have been done in the pandemic. I mean, this... Maybe. It, yeah, this is this is like a script that you pull out and say, you know what? A, a lot of characters don't have a lot of contact with each other. It's two guys. This is kind of a low-liability sort of, you know tight-knit production that we could shoot in the pandemic for sure well i mean and now that i'm thinking about it because so many of his homeboys are in it like they were available <laughs> yeah exactly everybody was available yeah because you know casting tiffany haddish these days she works at when did she sleep i but, know but i thought that was dope though because that's how, that was my first introduction to tiffany haddish was the gerard carmichael show that was the first time i remember her you know and then i think the guys who wrote this screenplay were from the gerard carmichael show so I was just like, oh shit, this is kind of like a little mini reunion for a dramatic for a dramatic piece, you know? I think we should probably back up a step and like say what the movie's about. Um, and since our uh, melanin challenged friend is not here to read the synopsis, I suppose. <sighs> Real um, quick though, yeah, just back to like Christopher Abbott. Y'all didn't think that was Bad Bunny for like 10 minutes? No, because I know who Christopher nah. Abbott is. Oh, and I've okay. seen Bad Bunny on um, Bullet Train, and he's not a good actor. Oh, okay. That's okay, funny. Okay, got it, got it. Now, I don't even, I, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know that I know what Bad Bunny looks like. He looks like goddamn Kevin in this film, for sure. No. Like, a, But he looks like a thinner version of Kevin no. in this film. No. You don't think, you just looked him up? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, to me, I thought it was Bad Bunny. I don't Whatever. You want, all right, so you want to read the synopsis of the film? Of on the It says, three. it looks like we don't have a synopsis for this title yet. <laughs> basically, basically, On the Count of Three is... Uh, well, I, there's a summary here. I can read that. Okay, go ahead. Okay, go it, it says, Gerard Carmichael makes his directorial debut and stars in On the Count of Three, a darkly comic feature about two best friends, Val and Kevin, on the last day of their lives. Yeah. 
So it's a suicide pack movie. Suicide pack movie. Um. All right. So where were we about to go before we rewind? We rewound. Rewound. Um. We were talking about all the people that he cast in it and whether or not they could make it through the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so we got- I want to rewind even farther to further to to where you said the movie like starts off being serious. So, being that it's a suicide packed movie, like we start off with a scene with them with guns to each other's heads, like right immediately. Which I mean, I was just like, "Yo," <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That shit caught me by the seen- throat. Well, I had seen that part in the trailer because he shows it to you, not the dialogue, but like that, so that you immediately know what the movie is about. Um, Mm -hmm. But I didn't know like that was going to immediately be the first scene. It made me extremely uneasy. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you guys feel at the movie opening? Yeah, very uneasy. I was uneasy throughout the whole film just because I knew what the premise was. You know, so every time somebody put a gun in their hand. And was intimate with like a gun in their hand. I was like, "Fuck!" It was like a, a very uneasy feeling throughout the whole film. Yeah, I mean, the movie definitely made me cringe on a lot of scenes. Not like in a bad way, but just like the anticipation of like how this scene can go wrong. Basically, mm-hmm. like the 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 scene where uh Kevin goes to the park and sees his old bully or whatever with his family, like thinking like how this could go wrong. Even even when he confronts his um his therapist, um, his child therapist, like towards the end of the movie, it's like, this is going to go really badly, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you, you you get that feeling like the entire film, basically, which I thought was really effective on Gerard Carmichael's part. Very. It, the the, the uh, convenience store scene. I yeah. Just, for sure <laughs> that was, was funny. Gonna, it was funny. <laughs> that's, that's what this, you know, to me, that was, because first of all, I love this film. You know what I mean? I, I I loved it. I mean, it's not like a I wouldn't jump out the window and endorse it and start buying merch about it. But like, mm-hmm. I, you know, if somebody asked me like, what was a good watch? I'd be like, you know what? You should watch, you know, on the count of three on Hulu, man. It was, uh, it, you know, just kind of back to what you were just saying, Martin, man. Gerard Carmichael, and I don't know whether to give him credit or the script credit, just the way that it maintained tension throughout the film and it, the way it translated with that tension, man, it was just so like that was that was like a fourth character, you know, or like a third character in the film, you know, was the tension, and uh, and they just did a very good job of balancing that tension with the dark comedy, like the very subtle dark comedy. Like one of the parts I laughed at the most. I know it sounds so stupid, but when they were coming out of the diner, when uh, Kevin came out of the diner, and there was like a little sign that said like "Watchers step on it." You know, that was like yeah. on the front of the door when he opened it. I'm like, it's so stupid and it's so subtle. But like these guys are literally like about to blow each other's heads off in a suicide pack. In a suicide pack. Suicide. What the fuck was that? In a suicide pack. And then they open this door and there's this like this dumbass warning of like, watch your step. It was like the, the thing of the most least importance. But it, it was little shit like that that had me rolling throughout this film, man. I was I, yeah, weak I think, at him playing Papa Roach in the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my last resort. <laughs> <laughs> and Carmichael was like, I'm not going to listen to Papa Roach before I kill myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are you about to say, Marge? Oh, I, I think um, I think I know why you like this film a lot. I feel like 
especially like the crime elements of this film, the way it's it's very grounded and it is like a dark comedy. Um, and, and, and like the acts that they commit like are brutal, but they're very like simple at the same time. It, it feels similar to like Jeremy Sonye to me. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It for sure Jeremy Sonye or even like um making Blair uh on yeah. the um I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Right. It's like a, a very a I mean it takes a certain That's brilliance. That's a dark dark movie. <laughs> it is, man, but it's fucking hilarious too, you know, yeah. on the parts that it's supposed to be. You know, mm-hmm. and there, there's a real talent there. There's a real talent to be able to walk that tightrope because you know, both are vi- they both come from a very like authentic place, you know, um, and and you have to portray them authentically in order to be good at them. So, and and they're at different ends of the spectrum on top of that. So it's just a very, you know, you got to give credit to to you know filmmakers. Uh, and again, I never know who to give credit to. Is it the is it the the writing, you know, or the directing? And I would imagine that it's a, obviously a combination of both, but. You know, whoever's really responsible for threading that balance is hats off to him, man. Hats off to him. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. How'd you feel about the um the rest of the cast? I mean, I, I know I said off the pod before, but um, I was happy to see like a lot of stand ups in this um because it is like an indie film, so you would think he would get like a lot of indie actors or mm-hmm. just like seasoned actors, and he. Chose Lavelle Crawford. I mean, Lavelle did um Breaking Bad, right? But um, yeah, he did. He had Lavelle Crawford, had yeah. uh JB Smoove and Tiffany Haddish. Yeah, so, how did he get Henry Winkler to come? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that is the one that's like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> how did he right. get him? Yeah, apparently, uh, they got him through his son. Uh, when I read like the trivia, they got oh, yeah. Henry Winkler through his son. Yeah, I was. That was yeah. That was. Whew. Yeah, man, that was good. That was good. That was good, man. Like just the whole way they built that scene as well. You know, the whole they, man. I don't know, man. This film was genius. J, I think J B Smooth might have been my favorite. Was my favorite uh, um, cameo in this joint, man. He like felt like a person, you know, exactly. like yeah. that's trying real hard to keep it at a certain level, but like tread lightly because. It's a real nigga in there. He'll fuck you up. Yeah, I'll fuck <laughs> you up. Yeah, he he did he did that tightrope really really well too, man. Because you know my my whole thing about JB Smooth. Every time I see him, I think Curb, and he's always taking it over the top, right? Danny do his thing. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> so so this joint to see him like pull back and and do a little bit of the humor shit, but then to like really reel it in and do and you know have a whole dramatic fight scene with his son. Yeah, that was that was very you know, very uh, entertaining. Who who was y'all's favorite? Uh, it was definitely. I mean, out of all of them, I think JB Smooth was like my favorite, as far as like a tertiary like cast member. Um, mm-hmm. I I like Lavelle Crawford, and but with Tiffany, I kind of felt like. It felt like improv in a sense because she mm-hmm. kind of kept making these jokes like about like his sex game or whatever. And it feels like something you would say like on stage or something like that rather than like actual dialogue you would say to somebody you have those feelings for. Uh, I mean, sometimes you be rehearsing 
a lot of shit yeah, you want to say to a nigga when you fuss him out. So right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not completely like I definitely right. rehearse flash shit I'm gonna say, but then don't say it. She just fucking said it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I, I wasn't mad at her in it. Like, um, I just think that gave they gave JB Smooth something much more interesting to do. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. than either Lavelle Crawford or Tiffany Haddish. But I, I tend to agree, like, that was of the comedians he cast, he was my favorite too. Lavelle Crawford felt like a real person too. Like yeah. he was always fucking with you. Like um he just did. picking. I, I, I wouldn't have pinned him on owning a, a dirt bike, of course, but <laughs> listen. But but no, I don't. I mean, I funny. think that I don't think that these characters were necessarily black. Like, I mean, they obviously talk about Val being black, Kevin's being weird. Talking about you're a beautiful black man, your dark dark skin. But yeah. um, <laughs> he said, I should have just said the n word. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was laughing. That was weird earlier. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but. I I definitely um, think that these characters just happen to be black. I don't think they were written with any intention of them being black. So why couldn't Lavelle Crawford be the guy that owns a dirt bike place? Like, why right. why the hell not? Like, you know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm Where not mad at it. Where is this movie set? Do you know? It looks like the Midwest somewhere. It. Yeah, it does look like Detroit or like the Midwest or something like that. See, I thought it was supposed to be like Colorado. Um, really? Yeah, I, I got like Colorado vibes for whatever reason, but um, it was I think it was filmed actually in Syracuse and in Canada. If if IMDb is correct. Oh okay. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. tends to oh, okay. be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, obviously, you know, towards the end, I started. I was like, oh, this kind of has like Thelma and Louise vibes. You know, like you know, just you know, this renegade. You know, two two friends renegade story where shit just kind of went too far you know the intended the intended journey went a little well in this case it didn't go too far like it went kind of as planned to some degree but you had a character that had uh that had like a, a you know a shift in perspective uh once he found out that uh he was going to become a father can can we i mean he already knew he was going to be a father but can can we talk about that like and what so i can agree that it's a good film in terms of like the artistry with which it's made the mm-hmm. quality of of his direction is absolutely there but the story itself i struggle to i'm very Y'all know me, and I guess when it comes to certain things that are sensitive, I'm very much like, hey, if you don't want to see something, don't watch it, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I, whenever I make opinions like that, God be like, okay, you cute. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if this should exist, if that makes any sense. Um, Talk about it. So I'm trying to like decide if this is just like an irresponsible story um Mm. just when dealing with suicide like as we like the the nature with which val proposes to kevin that they end their lives together that day is very casual and 
I think it's important to note that like when we meet Kevin, he is in a mental institution. Mm-hmm. He's in the hospital because he's tried to kill himself a few days earlier. And Val, on the other hand, is in a job that he hates. He's just gotten a promotion and we see him like trying to hang himself from a belt in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I think right there we see like that they are not having the same experience. Um, It's very clear to me, at least, that there's varying degrees in what they're experiencing right there. And I think that's like a perfect illustration of that. I mean, that's obviously intentional Mm -hmm. um, because there was nothing stopping Val from killing himself in the bathroom at work. But he stopped him, but he did stop himself. Because homie was singing. <laughs> well, homie was yeah. His coworker came in and was fucked peeing up the vibe. and singing. He fucked up his his suicide vibe. Yeah, that's what it was. I mean, I'm, I, I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be laughing. But you. No, I mean it's not real. So right, okay, good. I, I'm not about to like jump down your throat. Like have some reference. Like it's I not appreciate real. you. <laughs> um, but that just says to me they're having two different experiences and. The character of Val is extremely irresponsible, full stop. Um, If you want to end your life, you don't, why would you involve another person? Like, yeah. Uh, That's so strange to me. You have the guns, go shoot yourself. Like, yeah. Why are you involving him? And he is obviously somewhere where he's getting some level of care. And he's protected and he's getting help. I just, I don't think that Val ever really wanted to die. I think that was a cry for attention. Um, Attention, help, whatever. But I don't think he ever really wanted to die. And him involving his friend was like, the fuck? Well, correct me if I'm wrong. I thought that was kind of like the whole thing. Like, I thought that was- That is the the whole thing. But like, I don't- I don't know. It. I don't know that it's a story that I needed to see, I guess. And I, I know, unfortunately, like, um, other folks can't necessarily, like, see this kind of art and be as responsible with it as... You know, others. I'll just say that. Oh, and, you. Oh, you feel like it's it, and it, the it influence of like it kind of made it look cool. It was weird. I don't. <laughs> that made me feel away. I get what you're saying. I think that goes into a, a, a yeah that goes into a deeper pile of a conversation, which is how responsible should art be for what happens in real life? You know, and and I you know I understand both sides. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know, it, we were talking about Dahmer earlier, right? Like, there's mm-hmm. an argument there too that like. The, all this tr- this era of true crime everything mm-hmm. like it, it, is it really healthy for us it's desensitizing some of us you know it's 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 insensitive probably to a lot of the victims that this actually happened to um and I, that particular work i don't think was but i can definitely say that that is the case with other depictions yeah. of real killers um so yeah I, I think that's a fair argument right and but i don't think that anyone watching jeffrey dahmer would be inspired no i think you're i think you're absolutely wrong i think absolutely they will okay. you know th- I, and i say this from the you know um think about the uptick in school shootings that happened after columbine like it, it's now become 
an ongoing thing. But before Columbine, they were very sparse. That's the word, right? Sparse. They were. They, I don't. I they they may have been sparse. Um, but to be fair, like I don't know that I was in high school and not particularly paying attention. If you yeah. were at 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 what you're a year younger than me, like two years, I don't know. But I mean, you graduated the same year. Okay, so yeah. I think you were a few months younger than me then. Um, like I don't, I wasn't paying attention for real, and I was paying attention then because I went to an extremely white high school where there's some where some weird kids. Um, I wasn't paying so, attention per se. Like I'm like it, school shootings got on my radar with the Jonesboro, Arkansas one that happened a couple of months before Columbine, which to me is the scarier one than Columbine. So was, like I don't I don't even know you were you were I was off living my best white life like <laughs> my it, white ass high it. school I have no idea yeah. I was driving around in my little Nissan Sentra eating at my friend's house and talking about what boy I was gonna kiss like I was not paying attention to that kind got of stuff. it well yeah no the it, I mean I haven't done the I haven't done the stats on this but I would no imagine. well that's why that's what I'm saying I'm not saying you're wrong I'm saying I wouldn't know because yeah. like. I was off living my best white life, like yeah. suburban girl. Like I have no idea. Yeah. Um, what, what's your thought on it, Martin? Like, um, in terms of like, oh, art, mm, imitating life or vice versa. I mean, these conversations always come up with, uh, like, when whenever you see art depicts suicide. Mm-hmm. Um. So I never really know which. Like I understand both sides. I never really know which where to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um. I. I I mean, I, my my threshold is like as long as you're not like condoning it, or or as long as you're not um, depicting it in a way that somebody is like very much inspired to somebody who who isn't who is susceptible to that is very much inspired to do that. I don't think this film like ends in a place where people would think like suicide is great or like an acceptable option. I agree. To me, at least. No, mm-hmm. I agree. I just, I guess the the casual attitude that they have towards dying throughout the movie is something that kind of like bothered me. Um, so, yeah. like, I I agree with you, Martin. I think shows like Thirteen Reasons Why are like extremely irresponsible. Maybe this was diet irresponsible, but I I that's a conversation that I've been having with myself. Um, mm-hmm. More so than like sitting around condemning it, like oh my god, I can't believe it. I'm just like, ooh, this is because ah. I don't. I mean, like, Trezy, I don't think that Val had a paradigm shift. I think that he wanted attention, and I don't think mm. that I don't think that Kevin had a paradigm shift either. I think he actually wanted to die, and you know, he tried. Well. I don't know. I mean, because the very first, you know, when they were outside that strip club, you know, uh, Val pulled the trigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Val pulled the trigger in, the, in expectation that Kevin was going to do the same. And Kevin slapped the gun out of his hand. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I think there I think there was a paradigm shift at some point in, in the film. You There's know what I mean? so much foreshadowing there. Like, I knew that was going to end the way that it ended. Um and like Val didn't really have a problem. Mm, I mean, I I think that's that that maybe tap dancing on insensitivity there, right? Okay, like, sure. Like uh, he didn't really have a problem. He was he was <laughs> he didn't like 
What was his problem? He was having a kid. He had just gotten a fucking promotion. Like, what was what was your problem? What was the problem? Um, I I I mean, there was kind of with that last conversation when they were in the car. The monologue. The monologue kind of like uh, alluded to the fact that you know he's kind of had a rough upbringing in that specific town because he was black. You know, um, I I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the brother's experience, so I I don't want to say he didn't have a problem. And I, I we all know like. I was last of the sensitivity training class, so uh, you know I, I I just feel like that's a tag. They should have. I felt like they could have written him a different problem. That's all I'm saying. Like the actual problem he had was not a it wasn't a real problem. He did, he had everything he needed to navigate that situation. Right. And, and I mean, sometimes you know. All right. I, I'll say a, this: depression is a real problem. Yeah. But in terms of what was actually in front of him that he had to navigate was not a real problem. So in a moment of transparency, man, you know, my teenage years, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. I never took any action on them, but like uh, mainly because, you know, like I was just scared to take action, right? Like if it was, if it was a simpler concept or, you know, or one that didn't involve pain, like I, you know, there was a period in time where I really felt like that was a viable option for me. And it, it I was- I think that no, is normal of a lot of teenagers. Sure. So, you know, like, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know. I just don't know what that experience looks like for somebody in their, I, I don't in know, man. 30s. I don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just don't know, you know, because I, I, it didn't exist for me in my 30s only because- I went through it in my teenage years and I came to the realization that what you're saying, I didn't have a real problem. Like it was, I had an overwhelming feeling of some shit that I couldn't reconcile with at that specific time. And once I reconciled with it, those feelings went away, you know, but uh, you know, some people get into this place where they just get overwhelmed and they, well, no, I get that. I'm, I'm specifically talking about the writing. Okay. Okay. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that having a kid unexpected is not overwhelming. It can't put you into an extremely depressed state. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is him as a character, they gave the character very specifically everything that he needed for everything to be okay. Mm -hmm. And he still felt this way. I didn't feel like he had a real problem as a character. Got it. As a real person... Not having no money, that's a real problem. Yeah, it's a real <laughs> like, problem. You know, it's a real problem. Very desperate place. Yeah. yeah so. so I I do want to build on that because I want to. I wonder what the the seed of inspiration was for them to even write this. Like, is this part of one of the writers' experience, or you know, or adjacent? I mean, obviously, this is very. This is a very extreme version of what it looks like to be suicidal. But, um, like. Uh, that's what I would want to know. Where did the idea from the film for the film come from? Like, did you did you try to build a Thelma Louise story and then you reverse engineered it and said, "Ooh, this would make it interesting." Like, do, like, what is their relation to this topic? Would be my biggest question to the writers. This this film feels really similar to um. There's a film with like Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon Levitt called Fifty Fifty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's. I don't know if it's written by Evan Goldberg, but I know it's written by like one of Seth Rogen's like close friends who had cancer. And the movie is basically about a young guy and his friend and he gets cancer basically. And 
it get it gets really bad and it's about how his life changes and their friendship and um and his almost like near death experience basically um and it was written by Seth Rogen who's friend who actually had cancer i i would i i would assume like that somebody the the writers of this like either dealt with suicidal thoughts or know or like very much have the experience of knowing somebody who has been through that so right. that's why these these movies feel very similar to me mm. um so i would hope that they aren't just like being like let's write a comedy about suicide with like no experience with it but but also because of their resume because I know one of them was uh, was a writer on the Gerard Carmichael show. I think both of these writers do Rami, Arami, or what's that show? On Rami, Rami, Rami. Yeah. Um, which is coming back. So. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and you know, Rami is a very like. That's a dark show. That's yeah. a fucking uncomfortable ass show. Exactly. But I'm not gonna stop watching it. <laughs> yeah. So it you know it just kind of feels like an extension of, you know, this is their tone. This is their humor. Like I, I don't I wouldn't be surprised if they had no connection to this story or, you know, to the to the idea of suicide and they just felt like it was a good vehicle device to to explore some of these it felt heavy handed on like it felt more heavy handed on like social tropes than anything to me. Like it, it seemed like you know, one out of every two scenes was a way for us to get some information about uh, you know, like a social message sort of buried in the specific scene, you know. Um, so it almost seemed like that the suicide was a delivery device for these guys to have this experience where they can sort of cover a whole bunch of different social topics, but do it in a way that just was cohesive and they can touch as many of them as possible. That's, that's more of how it felt to me, to be perfectly honest, you know, because it's like every single, every single scene had some sort of a social undertone to it. You know, even the convenience store scene, you know, when, you know, people want to feel seen, you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. that, you know, the, the, the thing about the psychiatrist, you know, and you know how the person that you're supposed to go to, to help you mentally is fucking you up more mentally, you know, um, um, the bully thing, you know what I mean? Like just, it just seemed like every scene was, there was something they wanted to say in every single scene almost. Um, I think I think too it was just Christopher Abbott's character it was endearing us to his struggle. He had real problems. Yeah, he had real problems. Um and again, I think it's intentional for me to say that Val's character didn't have a real problem. Mm-hmm. Um juxtaposed to what was happening or had happened to Kevin. Mhm. Kevin had a very hard life in a very different way. And he had lots of residual pain. Um, And this didn't seem like something that was an impulse control issue for him. He Mm -hmm. just... I I get it with him and with Val. I'm just like, nigga, go get on the welfare. (laughs) You know what's interesting? That's how I feel. You, no, no, no. You know what's funny, though? Not funny, but you know what's interesting is like, as you're kind of saying that, I can see that being part of the, part of what this film is also trying to say is that like, you want to commit suicide, like, like, and, and, and doing it, and maybe this is what's, maybe I can follow you down the irresponsible train here, where it's like, it's purposely trying to show us 
there's a difference between somebody that has real problems and somebody who doesn't. Like maybe what you maybe what you're saying is kind of like somewhat of the point of what they're trying to explain to people. That is there's like, a difference between a cry for help and someone who actually wants to die. There you go. And and you know you can do things that can take this cry for help to another level. And that's where you don't want to be if you're not, you know, like, like you kind of need to sit and think about what your issue really is. You know, I can see that being somewhat of the sales pitch of this thing. Um, I mean, and his girlfriend was a voice of reason, which is why he was avoiding her. Like, I get that, too. But mm-hmm. <sighs> I don't know, Martin, where you at with it, man? I don't know. Like. I, this is a weird movie because I, I like it for sure, but as far as talking about it, I, I just I don't know exactly what to say. Like it's it's definitely a movie that I gotta think about like a lot before I like have some type of thesis on like what exactly he's saying. Like what what's the reason for all these like um all these set pieces with like the two characters confronting um, their past or confronting the things that they need to in their life. Um, or or what even is the purpose of it? Um, I, I don't know. I'm not even sure, for, to be honest, but what do you think? I mean, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's fair, Martin, to say, like, it sounds like to me you're like, hey, I need to have a conversation with these people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, like, as we're sitting here, I'm kind of, li- I'm listening to you too, Teresi, and, and kind of taking it away. And again, like, I'm not not going to jump out there and say, like, it's it's like completely irresponsible and how dare they. But I have mm-hmm. questions. Like, sure, sure. I guess is where I am. Um, but as far as a film experience about something so macabre, like, I, I enjoyed the film. Right, right. <laughs> from like from like an artistic perspective, I did. I just right. was kind of like, "Ooh, what are we talking about?" Right, I got you. Well, all right, let's shift gears because we kind of been a little heavy handed here. What <laughs> what what scenes got the biggest laughs for you guys? Oddly <laughs> enough, it the it was Christopher Abbott made me laugh way more than Gerard Carmichael. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was definitely like week at him talking to him about being a beautiful black man and and the convenience store he's like i'm not gonna rob you and then he's <laughs> he pulls the gun out on him like don't ignore me <laughs> right 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 um which is wi- wild to me that they didn't call the cops on them then but you don't get to pull a gun on me and then just leave like sure <laughs> like, i guess he didn't do anything wrong because he paid me no like he assaulted you like what are we talking about right um <laughs> but uh i just I enjoyed those scenes a lot. Um, what about you, Martin? Um, I would say the JB Smooth scene was my favorite <laughs> out of all of them. Um, other scenes, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's probably the one that stands out the most to me. Mm. I mean, Tiffany Haddish is funny too. Um, I just love I love her conversation on the phone. Mm-hmm. Where she's just calling him a little boy like that 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 stings. <laughs> that definitely stings. That's like I mean I've heard that before, but it's like it it it's such a um good like diss in a way. Shout out to Billy Mercury. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> voicemail. Right, 
but yeah, yeah. That that he is like he is the little boy at that moment. Like he can't deal with his own problems. He can't confront and actually give her like the closure that she needs or the time that she needs um to explain why he's doing what he's doing. Like he just wants to I mean, but yeah, I guess this movie is kind of problematic because it's like he's he's like being like a coward because suicide is like the easy way out, which I mean, that's not how you should think about it for real for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, those two scenes, I I definitely love Tiffany Haddish talking on the phone and, and the JB Smooth scene. That was like my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like I told y'all, man, him walking out of that diner, it got such a big laugh out of me for no reason. Um, and I found myself laughing at the, uh, the receptionist at the psychiatrist. Just, oh yeah, right. <laughs> she, she was, was wild. Yeah, she was. I'm gonna give you his whole schedule, and yeah. like, like he's not a damn psychiatrist. Like, you don't know what this person's issues are that you're like telling him when to come back and see the doctor. Like, right, girl. Yeah, that was funny. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, he'll be here. She's like, in 15 minutes. It's fine. He's not even here. But um, right. how did she not know he wasn't there? That was the other thing. I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that was wild. But it was good. You know, it was good for uh, moving you know, the story for moving yeah. the story for yeah. yeah, that was it was that's like honestly the I was in awe of the way that this story was structured because it you know it just the same way I was in awe like watching Good Time where it's like the realism of what would actually happen in this scene, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, and I hate to shift gears to good time, but you remember when, when, um, homie was telling Connie about the story of where he put the, uh, where he put the, uh, what was the stuff that he wanted to sell? Um, not acid. What, 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 what was it that was inside that Sprite bottle? But he was telling them the story of like how he hid it inside of that carnival or the inside of that, like, what do they call those? Like a fair, like a mm-hmm. like a carnival joint, and okay. um, mm-hmm. and then when they came out of the story, Connie was already like looking it up on the map. <laughs> like he was, you know, they go into this whole story of where he put this stuff, and when you come out of it, Connie's like, he'd already checked out of the story. He's looking up where the location of this place is because he's like, we finna go to this shit. You know, About it was small. Yeah, exactly. It was small moments like that that happened here where it's like, no, this is this is. This is actually what would ha- probably happen. You know, I can see this really happening and not just being a story device. Like, it's just a really, a really authentic uh, sort of like account of how a day like this could possibly go, you know. I'll tell you something else that I thought was funny when they were talking about going to kill Henry Winkler, the psychiatrist. <laughs> and Gerard Carmichael was like, I don't want to be like one of those mass shooter white boys. I don't want to get lumped in with them. Right. That was funny. Yeah. <laughs> like him having those kinds of thoughts. I'm like, you're going to be dead. Why are you worried about what they're saying about you? <laughs> right. So, so the didn't the Gerard Carmichael show go off because like there was supposed to be an episode about a school shooting and and the network didn't want to do didn't want to talk about it. I don't and remember. I, there was an episode time. about shooting. Yeah, I, I don't was think it, it was a school, school shooting? shooting. I think he was like at the mall or something like that. Like okay, a police like a mall, shooting. Like a mall shooting. No, it, it was like a mall shooting, basically. Yeah, but like because the whole episode is 
the whole episode is like um he comes back from the mall after the shooting and everybody is trying to get him to talk about it but he kind of has PTSD or he's kind of suppressing it the whole time until the end of the episode right and, and but it, yeah cuz if i remember correctly it was like a thing between him and whatever network was uh that show was on like they didn't like i don't know if they had him cut a lot of stuff out or they were trying to I think they were trying NBC to squash the conversation. was com- trying to squash it. They were yeah. trying to squash the conversation. And I think that turned into like basically creative differences. And Gerard, you know, that turned into the end of the show. Because if I remember correctly, that was in the last season, wasn't it? That episode? Yeah, he opted not it to might have renew been. it with mm-hmm. his cast options. He just was like, he let it go, which is like a similar way because NBC um, basically did the same thing with. Um, a different world after they talked about the riots, they canned it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, really? That was like the end of it? Mm. Well, yep. see. Well, that's crazy because American Horror Story, I feel like it came out before the Carmichael show and the first episode has like a school shooting reference. The first season does. It's not the first episode though. Mm. It's oh, like well the into episode. the middle of yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but but still, and and American that that whole thing that they're on NBC or I thought they were on no Fox. American Horror Story is on FX and Ryan Murphy FX. on yeah. FX can do a whole lot of things you cannot do on yeah. on primetime NBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really can. I don't know, man. I, it, it was this was an interesting pick for us to do on the count of three. Um. Well, we've kind of said that we are along the ride to see what he does. And I just think this is part of the journey. I don't think this is the last time we'll be talking about work from Gerard Carmichael. Right. I'm sure he will make more shit. Right. (laughs) Right, right. And I mean, hopefully it'll be interesting enough for us to be able to have a real conversation about. And I don't think he's going to disappoint us. So like we said before, like whatever he's doing, we're along for the ride. And so consequently, so are (laughs) y'all. Right. Real talk. All right, bet is that is that where we want to leave this conversation then? Because it, it feels like we said absolutely nothing but a lot at the same time. I think we had a real conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, it always feels different on the inside of the storm. So I'm sure when I listen back, I'll be like, oh yeah, I was tripping. <laughs> uh, anyway, man, you know the vibes. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Kind of Movie Critics, and on Twitter at Kind of Movie Crits. That's C R I T S Crits. Um, and you know, I mean, we always ask y'all to do this and nobody ever really does, <laughs> but jump in there and tell us, you know, what's going on, man? Like, is, is there something we need to be talking about that we're missing? Is there a deeper conversation somewhere or some episodes you actually want to hear? Because if, if y'all request it, we shall do it. We will do it. We just that's what, that's y'all... how y'all got hung for Jesus. Oh, okay. So that came because somebody. Yeah. yeah a fan. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Well, there it is, man. That's proof in the pudding right there. So if there's something you want to hear us talk about. Let us know so we can do it. And uh, I guess until then, remember we call ourselves kind of movie critics because we kind of are. We're kind of not. Just a bunch of people who like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production.